Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I will be joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Henderson shortly. But obviously, um, you know, Christmas is this weekend, so is Kwanzaa, so everybody is out doing their thing and celebrating with family and friends and whoever else. Obviously, happy Christmas to everybody out there listening. Happy Kwanzaa to everybody out there listening. And what we're going to talk about this week is basically what we want Santa Claus to bring the Mets. Hopefully not Cole. Um, Hopefully the Mets were not naughty this year, though they did have their uh, fair share of scandals early in the year. But hopefully Santa will be bringing presents and I hope that Santa leaves Tommy Tannis, who is the Mets vice president of amateur and international scouting, and Mark Chamuda, who is their director of amateur scouting. I hope that Santa brings them magical scouting reports because the 2022 draft, it seems like it's going to be a big one for the Mets. And I want to see them really maximize this opportunity that they're going to have um, in, in this upcoming draft. They didn't sign Kumar Rocker last season. He was the 10th overall pick. So because of that, they're going to be getting the 11th overall pick in the 2022 draft. Because they ended the season with a 77-83 and record, they're going to be getting the 14th overall pick in the draft. 
Now, in the compensation round, whenever that is, it's still up in the air right now, but the Mets are going to be getting a pick from the Angels in compensation for them signing Noah Syndergaard. And it's pretty likely that they're also going to get a pick from someone else for signing Michael Conforto, because I don't think that he's going to be resigning with the Mets. So all those picks combined with their normal second and third round picks, and it looks like the Mets are potentially going to have six picks within the top 100, which is pretty good. Now, I don't think there's anyone out there who can argue about the success that they've had in the first round over the last couple of years. Kumar Rocker, you know, everything else aside, he was an extremely talented pitcher. Pete Carl Armstrong, they selected him in 2020. He's with the Cubs now in that terrible Javi Baez trade, but, you know, he had a pretty high floor, and that was a minimum thanks to his uh, defense and center and his, his bet on ball skills with, with potential to grow. Uh, Brett Beatty, he's advanced faster and more successfully than I think any of us could have imagined, and he looks like he's turning into the real deal. Um, Jared Kalenic, he's made the Mariners now, and yeah, that debut last season was not good at all, but all his tools are still you know average or better. And once he gets his sea legs under him, he's probably going to be the all-star caliber player that we basically thought he could be back when he was a Mets prospect. Uh, David Peterson, you know, he he had a good rookie season in 2020. He wasn't really able to recapture that in 2021. But in his defense, A, he was injured. And B, you know, he was never really projected to be as good as some of these other names or even really as good as he was in 2020, to be honest. Um, 2016, there was Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay, you know, another two guys that aren't around anymore, but both are already major leaguers. So, you know, that's, that's really a success right there. But after the second, you know, after the the first round, second round successes have kind of been far and few in between. Um, in 2016, Pete Alonso, obviously, but after him, literally nobody else in that entire draft um, either made it to the major leagues or are currently a top prospect in the system. In 2017, there's Mark Vientos, but same thing. Not a single player in that entire draft decides for him. Uh, 2018 gave us Tyler McGill and a couple of minor leaguers, Simeon Woods-Richardson, Jalen Palmer, Hayden Sanger, Brian McTwire. But, you know, that that's basically one success and four wild cards in 40 picks. You know, not the best. Um... 2019, obviously, you got to give an asterisk there because they employed a a unique strategy in order to get Matthew Allen. But, you know, that year, um, the team got, in addition to, the, you know, Brad Beatty, the first-round pick, Josh Wolf, the aforementioned Allen, um, Jake Mangum, and, you know, that's it. 2020, pretty recent. Obviously, very abbreviated, only five rounds because of covid and everything but ironically that might actually be the best draft out of all of them um the only two guys that are still on the team are jt ginn and eric orzi and they are both top prospects in the system um but part of the reason that the mets minor league system is in such poor shape particularly at the upper levels is because of years of poor drafts outside the first you know two three rounds uh, the Mets would basically value players more highly than they turned out being. 
and that prevented them from having the money to grab overslot players later on. So what do I mean by that? So let's look at 2016. That was the first year that I started doing all the draft stuff. Um, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay were in the first round. Great. Everything worked out there. Peter Alonso, even better. <laughs> that really worked out well. So third round now. Blake Tiberi, he signed for $500,000, which was about $96,000 less than slot value. He's since uh, been released after struggling and not making it past high A. Fourth round, Michael Piaz. He signed for $446,000, which is exactly slide value. He's since retired from baseball after struggling and not making it past double A. Fifth round, Colby Woodmancy. He signed for $334,000, exactly slide value. He's since been released after struggling and not making it past high A. Sixth round was Chris Vile, and he signed for exactly the slot value, $250,000. He has since retired. He was unable to get past low A. Seventh round was Austin McGeorge. He signed for $175,000, which was about $10,000 below slot value. And he's since been released after making it to double A, but struggling there. Eighth round was Placido Torres. He was really the only intentional money-saving pick in all those first 10 rounds. He signed for $10,000, and he's since been released after not getting past short A. Ninth round, uh, Colin Holdeman. He was actually an overslot signing. His $400,000 bonus was about $250,000 over the slot value, and he has been held back by a lot of injuries, and he might now be coming into his own so the jury's out there and then finally 10th round that year was gene Cohn. he signed for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is a few thousand dollars less than slot value and he made it as high as double a but he struggled and he's since been released so i'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty but you know twenty thousand uh twenty thousand twenty seventeen similar Guys like Quinn Brody, Tony DeBrell, Matt Winokur, Marcel Renteria, they signed for, you know, about, uh, about slot value, and they really haven't panned out. Um, and obviously the guys that were intentional money-saving picks, Connor O'Neill, Trey Cobb, Cannon Chadwick, you know, they haven't either. The, ironically, the one guy that actually might make it, Stephen Valines, he got traded, so, oh well. Uh, 2018, you know, same thing. And... All these guys that basically should be in double A or triple A at this point, they're gone. So now the team is relying on too many kind of over the hill vet types or just random indie ball finds that they're able to get, and you know, not not a great uh, not a great strategy. It might not have too much of an impact on win loss records for Binghamton and Syracuse. But it definitely has an impact, you know, when you when you need to tap into player depth when the MLB team needs it. And as we saw this past season, like sometimes the major league team really, really, really needs it. So I'm hoping Santa leaves uh Tannis and Tremuda a magical list of the guys that are actually worth it. Because, you know, as as much as that strategy has worked that they've been using over the last couple of years, you know, it's it's left the team kind of top-heavy. And it's not like talented players aren't available outside of the first three uh, rounds. 
looking back at 2016, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, Joey Lucchese, they were all fourth-round picks. Kevon Biggio and Nick Lopez, the fifth-round picks. Uh, Tommy Edmond, he was a sixth-rounder. Tony Gonsolin, he was a ninth-rounder. And then you could do that, you know, the same thing with picks from 2017, 2018. Probably not 2019, because that's still a little too soon. But the point is that there's plenty of talents, MLB talents, in those later rounds. And they were valued accordingly. And if in 2022, the Mets are able to accurately identify those guys and, you know, value them accordingly, the team doesn't need to, you know, basically concentrate all the resources in one, two, three guys like they've been doing the last couple of years. So Santa, please bring that list. We don't want Cole. And obviously, love the Mets. Love the Mets. So for Christmas, for baseball, and in baseball purposes, there's a few things that probably really two are the two main ones that I can think of, of two things that I would want given to the Mets system. But one is baseball on a whole, which is probably cheating, but also I think is understandable given the circumstances. But the one thing I would want baseball on the whole to get is the end of this lockout for with a good deal for the players. Like, I definitely would not want the owners to come out on top here in terms of, like, them screwing over guys who actually – the reason why we watch and analyze and care about the game is the players. It's not the owners. So even when we're fans of a specific team, like all of us listening to this are Mets fans, I'm sure, and us and all of us on the pod are Mets fans. Uh, players are still the ones who get you to the ballpark and get you to care more. Like, it's just undeniable that it's easier to care when you have good and fun and exciting players. And baseball needs more of that. And I think if the lockout ending with more pro player um, stuff to come out of it, then what we went into it, which is a big reason why the lockout happened is it's just not a good situation for a lot of players in baseball, which otherwise we wouldn't be in the situation. Um, so yeah, that's what I want from baseball as a whole. But for the Mets system, I think I want two things. One I think I want I want the Mets to show that they care about the system and I think that 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 will come in due time but it's not really something you could you could um ask for and get received within an off season or even two just because like um it's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of moving parts and the Mets have had entire front offices to rebuild and rebuild again and miss out on their chance to rebuild it's been a kind of a mess for them so yeah, that's one thing I would like. And I would also like the Mets minor leaguers to be treated better. This is also a long-term minor league thing. I want everyone in the minor leagues to be treated better. It would be awesome, just perfect, if the players and the MLBPA really tried to put in a good word for the minor leaguers just because it's so hard for them to get a leg up on the situation and get re- and, and get their voices heard and get their and, and have their voices heard and have their needs met because right now we as a baseball not we baseball as a organization are not helping meet the needs of minor leaguers in any way and i think that needs to change um that starts with housing that starts with more money that starts with better nutrition that starts with everything i mean you hear players talk you hear minor leaguers talk all the time about how bad the minor league situation is and we don't really do anything to make it better. So for Christmas, I would love for 
the Mets as an organization and for baseball as a whole to really give give those players what they need to function and be professionals. Because even though they're in the minor leagues, that's still they're still professionals. That's still a professional organization, and that's still professional baseball, even if it's not major league baseball. Um, and they should be treated as such. They shouldn't be treated as unpaid interns who can't who who need to provide other ways for them to survive themselves while they're trying to learn while they're trying to better their baseball life and be competitors and fought and chase their dreams because the minor leagues makes it hard to do that. So yeah, those are really the two things, two very happy, happy go lucky things on this Christmas for sure. But those are, those are two real things that I, that I think baseball has problems with that we need to fix. And for Christmas, fixing them would be great. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, Lucas here with another uh, dispersed segment for From Complex to Queens, this time a special Christmas episode. Merry Christmas to all of those of you who celebrate, uh, happy holidays to those of you who don't, and uh, happy new year to everyone, uh, except for the people who go to watch the ball drop in New York, because I hate you if you do. Um, holiday greetings aside, let's actually jump in, and uh, Steve's assignment for us this week was to come up with uh, a gift we want for the holidays, uh, for the Met system. And, uh, my particular wish is I would like to see the, uh, uh, the hit tool fairy that I've just imagined up come visit the Met system and sprinkle some of her pixie dust upon a couple of my favorite prospects. Uh, anyone who's listened to this show for long enough or read any of my work on the site probably knows where I'm going with this. Um, uh, but the first guy I really want to, uh, have a visit from this hit tool fairy is, is Khalil Lee. I've talked a lot about how much I love Lee. Uh, I see power. I see speed. I see the shape of someone who should be a good defender uh, once their routes and uh, uh, reads get a little better at the major league level or if shifting helps that, whichever. Uh, but the physical tools are there. Um, uh, as is the approach. Uh, very good ability to discern balls from strikes. And, and then that's led to some really good minor league production. He was excellent in AAA last year. Of course, when he came to the majors, he struck out in more than 70% of his very brief uh, uh, time here, which is his hit, to, his hit tool issues aren't quite that severe, but this is a real problem, right? He struck out almost 30% of the time in AAA. He struck out almost 30% of the time in AA back in 2019, right? So this is a pretty consistent problem for Lee. Uh, and it's something that, 
unfortunately, like might limit him to a a non-major league career, something like Keon Broxton or that kind of player who's a useful fourth or fifth outfielder who bounces around and you like to have, but isn't a long-term piece. If you imagine that player with a even a just a slightly below average hit tool, or let's even be greedy and say an average hit tool. That's one of the best outfielders in baseball, I would think, right? With his level of power, athleticism, speed, and, and defense, even being able to make a little bit of contact would make him a viable second division starter, uh, either in center or as a plus defender in a corner. Um, now, of course, hit tool development is usually the hardest thing to scout and the hardest thing to project. Uh, it's also ultimately the most important skill, which is why there's not as much hype around Khalili, I would say. But if I was to ask for one thing, uh, I'd be for him to develop his hit tool because suddenly the Mets would have a very real, uh, basically major league ready uh, uh, outfielder, something their system definitely needs with a lot of upside, right? And that's really nice depth to have behind what is an exciting group of outfielders in Starling Norte, Mark Kana, and and Brandon Nimmo, but also a rather frail one. Ray Kana and Nimmo have plenty of injury history, and uh, Marte is an older speed guy. So there's there's room here for, for contributions uh, from Lee if he can actually get his hit tool together. And I think it's a real potential uh, monster player if, if something like this was to happen. Now, will it happen? I don't know. It's really difficult to say. I certainly hope. And if I'm asking for Christmas gifts, that's what I'm going to ask for. Um, but I'm going to actually be greedy and, and list a couple other players that I think are uh, 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 fitting of this sort of gift. And the second would be Jalen Palmer. Um, Palmer was someone I was super high on coming into the year. Uh, again, similar to, to Lee in that there's a lot of athletic upside, potential power, speed, defensive flexibility with, with potential plus defense at, uh, in an outfield spot, given the physical tools, but the swing is, um, so he's a little ugly. It was definitely a little ugly by the time he got to Brooklyn this year. Um, uh, just short, but still not making a lot of contact. He struck out almost 40% of the time in AA, and that was over a reasonable sample size. Uh, I'm not writing him off as a prospect entirely, but his hit tool problems are even worse than Lee, and it, it's not particularly close. Uh, that said, again, very much like Lee, the, the rest of the ingredients for, a, for an exciting player are here if the hit tool comes around. And if we're, again, wish casting for magical developments, I would love for Jalen Palmer to even just get a, a just to give him a bad hit tool instead of a disastrous one. Like give him, oh, what's a good name to pull out here who has a good, not great hit tool. Really putting myself on the spot here and demonstrating my lack of uh, preparation. I don't know. Ike Davis's hit tool. Uh, it's a more contemporary example. I'm really blanking on here. Alberto Albert Almora's hit tool, which is not as good as you might think. Um, uh, literally anyone you can imagine who's mediocre but not a disaster, and you'd be looking at uh, a really exciting prospect given the rest of the profile. Um, and the last name I'll mention is kind of the spiritual uh, uh, precursor to uh, Jalen Palmer, and of course that's Shervia Newton. Very much the same idea. Interesting power, speed, defense combination. Can hit the ball a mile when he makes contact, but has consistently struck out 30 or even 40% of the time 
hasn't even made it to, to high A yet. And that was stalled out a little bit at A ball. Um, were he to pick up a hit tool, I don't think the upside is quite as high as, as Palmer and certainly not as Lee. But again, that goes from a he's essentially a non-prospect at this point, I would argue, to someone I think we'd all be extremely excited to see. Like a really uh, uh, interesting, fun, uh, um, highlight-generating bench player, which is uh, always a good piece to have around. It's good to have optional depth like that, depth like that uh, particularly when it's fun. So if there is a, a baseball... Uh, a Santa of sorts, or choose your uh, gift-giving uh, mystical figure of choice. Uh, I'd love for them to come to the Mets system and just uh, uh, add a little bit of hit tool skills to a couple of my favorite prospects. Uh, fingers crossed it actually happens. I don't think I've been nice enough this year, but maybe the team has as a whole. It probably hasn't. Anyway, guys, Merry Christmas. Until next time, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.